Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast from San Jacinto Assembly of God in Amarillo, Texas. If you'd like to know more about our church, visit us online at www.sjag.church. Now here's this week's message. Hey, listen, we're about to read a prophecy from Isaiah describing the coming of Jesus into the world. The Christmas season is an amazing time. And this prophecy, the prophet Isaiah lived in the 8th century B.C. Now, listen, for those of you that are frequent Bible readers, this is 700 years prior to Jesus being born in Bethlehem of Judea. He literally prophesies the birth of the Messiah 700 years prior to him coming. And if that's not mind-blowing enough, in Luke, the fourth chapter, Dr. Luke records that Jesus read from the scroll of Isaiah in the synagogue, and after reading, Jesus then sits down, and Luke tells us the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were literally glued upon him because Jesus says, today these words are being fulfilled in your hearing. And there is no doubt that you could have heard a pin drop in that synagogue because everyone there knew Jesus was pointing to himself as the fulfillment of the prophecy and he affirms that he is the one Isaiah is talking about or that Isaiah prophesied 700 years prior to him coming. And he's basically announcing, I am the Messiah. And he turns that culture upside down. He's saying, I am the Messiah. Ultimately, Jesus' life and sacrificial death on the cross and his resurrection perfectly fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah 53. With that as background, I want you to go with me to Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, as Isaiah describes the sin-bearing Messiah, and he lays out for us the beginning of the Christmas season. 700 years prior, I love the Bible, it's so awesome. 700 years prior to Jesus' coming. Let's read. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form of comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has bore our griefs and carries our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Listen now. The transgression is the open rebellion against God. It's when you do something publicly, you transgress the law of God, but you do it anyway because you like it. And you try to pass it off as, well, that's just, you know, that's just who we are. That's a transgression. But he was bruised for our iniquities. The iniquity is the secret sin. The things you do in private to try to cover up what you've already done in public. He was bruised, some translations say crushed, for our secret sin. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What an amazing prophecy, again, not to be repetitive, but 700 years prior to Jesus being born. Now, in this prophecy, Isaiah asked two very important questions. Number one, who believes the report? The second, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now, the significance of these questions becomes apparent when you realize whoever believes the report, that is who the arm of the Lord will be extended to. And these two questions, they, they let us know why so many people do not choose Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It's because they don't believe the report. It's because they don't have the faith to believe that he is the Messiah. They are filled with unbelief. Therefore, the arm of the Lord cannot, now notice it doesn't say will not, but cannot extend to them because of their doubt and their unbelief. Now listen to the metaphor Isaiah uses in verse 2 to describe the Messiah, the culture that Jesus will be planted into. Remember, God the Father chose a specific culture to plant Jesus into. And it's going to become apparent why he did so. Look at verse 2. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. Isaiah is trying to draw a mental picture for the people of Israel. 
because he is showing them prophetically the Messiah is coming. But he's trying to warn them that his coming will be different than anything they have ever seen, thought of, or experienced in the past. He is letting them know the atmosphere or the political culture or the climate or the environment that God will plant Jesus into will not be conducive to success or growth. Isaiah is saying he's going to be planted into adverse conditions. But those adverse conditions will not determine the outcome of his life. Hear it again. Those adverse conditions will not determine the outcome of his life. You might be experiencing adverse conditions right now. But they don't have to determine the outcome of your life, of your marriage, of your relationships with your son or your daughter. You may have come out of a troubled home or a bad family situation. You may be dealing with abuse or pain even now. In fact, you might be in a mess right now, even as I am speaking to you. But that situation does not have to determine the outcome of your life. And Isaiah is emphasizing the unfavorable conditions the Messiah would appear. He is saying the culture is going to be woke. Do you understand? The culture that God planted Jesus into was a woke culture. That is nothing new today. Satan has not changed his spots for almost 3,000 years. And God planted him into a woke culture. This is a pattern, a biblical principle. The message of Isaiah 53 is that God is not moved by the situations that we struggle with. Hear it again. God is not moved by the situations that we struggle with. Say that with me. God is not moved by the situations that we struggle with. Say it again. God is not moved by the situations that we struggle with. Things that seem insurmountable to us, to our Congress, to our Senate, to Fox News, to CNN, are nothing to God. Listen, you may have a son or a daughter, a mother or a father, a family member, that the conditions and the circumstances of their life make it seem impossible that God could ever move in their life. You can't even imagine them walking into this church with a Bible in their hand and coming to the altar. You can't even imagine them being saved. But that simply tells me that you don't fully understand the principle that God sent Jesus into this, into this earth as a root out of dry ground. He sent him into impossible situations. In other words, God doesn't need anything from the environment or the social construct or for that matter any person or for anyone to move on the lives of the people that he wants to do. He does whatever he wants to do because he is sovereign, almighty God. He can do whatever he wants to do. He's still the God of Abraham. He's still the God of Isaac and Jacob. He's still the God of heaven and earth. He's not limited in any degree, shape, or form. If you believe that, somebody shout amen. amen. So you're awake. Amen. Then Isaiah goes on to describe the lack of a physical attraction concerning Jesus. I love this. Because he's telling them he's not going to fit into the stereotype of former Jewish leaders. You see, they had a preconceived idea of who the Messiah would be. They had a preconceived idea of what he would look like. Of how he would rule their lives. So many times, we as Christians, we have preconceived ideas of what God can do and what God will do. And God is saying, get rid of your preconceived ideas. I am God Almighty. Don't try to lock me within a box this Christmas season. I can do abundantly above that which you could possibly imagine or think. And Isaiah's exact words to them were, there is no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, he's not going to be much to look at. He's, he's not going to be what you thought. See, for instance, the Bible describes King David as a strong and handsome man. In 1 Samuel 16 and 12, it says, David is ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Kind of like Pastor Billy. Why are they laughing? <laughs> Today we would say he was a sight for sore eyes. Not Billy, but David. <laughs> David was a sight for sore eyes. 
I mean, he was just gorgeous. The Bible describes King Saul as being a head taller of all other men. Saul looked like a leader. When he walked into the room, he, he, he attracted the attention. He stood out. He looked like a warrior, a winner, like a leader of men. He looked like someone who would grab the attention of the masses of people and simply by his presence cause everyone to want to follow him. But Isaiah goes on to say, that's not what Jesus is going to be. In fact, he's not going to be much to look at. He's not going to grab your attention that way. He wasn't his outward appearance is what Isaiah is saying. Get rid of your preconceived ideas. It's not his outward appearance. God looks at the heart of man. The heart of man. God does not look at the outward appearance. And it's amazing how in today's culture, we all have a preconceived idea of what things should be. Well, then he goes on to say he will come to power out of dry ground or barren ground. It's a description of a person who looks like they don't have much of a chance to survive, let alone thrive and rise up with a movement that would take over the world. Remember, Jesus was planted into impossible situations. Hear it again. Jesus was planted into an impossible situation. At the time of Jesus' birth, sexual immorality was pandemic, much like it is today. They were serving multiple gods and false religions. Hate was stronger than love, much like today. The high priests and the religious system were corrupt. Israel had been invaded by the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks and now conquered and occupied by the Romans. And Israel was now a shell of her glorious past. Friends, you need to understand, in the world's view, had Jesus descended from the Caesars or from Pharaoh or from the Greeks or some powerful nation or person that had wealth and armies and power, they might have said, well, okay, this this guy stands a chance to rise up to some significance. But in the world's view, this Jesus is just some sort of nothing. He's a root out of dry ground. He's a rabble rouser. His birth was not in a royal nursery. It was in a stable with a peasant mother named Mary and a stepfather who was a blue-collar manual laborer, a carpenter. No room in the inn is how his life began. Then to add insult to injury, to show how much of a root out of a dry ground he was, if you wanted to paint a picture or get across a point of how pitiful somebody really was, The catchphrase was, can anything come out of Nazareth that is good? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's where Jesus was born. You see, Nazareth was a ghetto. Nazareth was the hood. It was the other side of the tracks. And they would say, can anything good come out of San Jacinto? Can can anything good come out of, are you kidding me? There's no possible way. And every time that he introduced himself as Jesus of Nazareth, it said to that culture, he's from trash. He has no lineage. Nothing powerful has ever come out of Nazareth. Nothing of influence has ever come out of there. How in the world can they do anything for God? But Jesus was the root out of dry ground. Now listen, if you didn't have anything going for yourself and you wanted to make an impact, at least surround yourself with great people. Surround yourself with winners. But the disciples that Jesus chose did nothing to build or advance his prestige or his stature. Maybe if he would have chosen some men of renown or maybe highly successful people. Maybe someone with a degree in theology or philosophy or maybe someone that could talk publicly. I mean, if you're going to address the public, maybe get a TikToker or or somebody that could really wow them with social media. But no, Jesus chose fishermen. He he chose cursors and fighters. He chose people kind of like you and me, the common folk. And he said, I choose you, follow me. I choose you, follow me. And what's amazing to me is this tender plant didn't just spring up. But the text says it grew. That tender plant that came out of the most difficult circumstances overcame the obstacles of where he came from, 
to grow into a magnificent tree of life that would bring shelter and shade to the troubled lives of men and women who were weighed down with their pressures of life, afflicted with diseases, dealing with hopeless situations. They can now run into the shadow of the Almighty and they can find the secret place where they can find healing and hope in Jesus of Nazareth. Friends, Jesus knows what it is to come out of a difficult situation. He knows what it is to deal with barren ground. Hebrews tells us, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has in every respect been tested as we are, yet without sin. He knows what it is to be rejected. You might be sitting here saying, well, Randy, you don't know my life. You don't know how difficult my childhood has been. I've got a perfectly good reason why I don't have to be a good husband or a good father or a good mother uh, because I never had a good father, a good husband, a good mother. So because of that, I can be who I want to be. Well, you could say that or you can understand that Jesus knows exactly what it is to be rejected. He went to his own and his own rejected him. He knows what it is to be ridiculed and tossed aside betrayed by those he loves, crucified for a sin that he did not commit. I've come today to tell you that that tender plant did not die. I want to announce that he's still living. That tender plant that came out of dry ground is alive and well. For on the third day, when they laid the body of Jesus of Nazareth into the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, I love that. They didn't even have to buy the tomb. You only rent something you're not going to use for a short time. And you'd only plan on using it for a short time. Because three days later, the Holy Spirit invaded that borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and raised to life again the three-day dead body of the Lamb of God. And now Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. He said those amazing words on the cross. It is finished. I'm so glad that he didn't say, I am done. He said, it is finished. And the reason he said it is finished is because he was finishing his portion of the race. And he was going to transition his ministry to sit at the right hand of God. And his new ministry is to intercede for you. His new ministry is to pray for your children, to pray for your grandchildren, to pray for your everyday existence. I want you to understand that, that on the first Sunday of December, the Messiah that was planted in the dry ground is now praying for you. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, he's calling your name to the Father. And that should make you want to shout. That he's praying for you. That he's interceding on your behalf. You see, you know that a vision is from God when it's too great for you to fulfill it yourself. Mm. He'll allow you to fill it to a portion and then he'll say the Holy Spirit will do the rest. Jesus of Nazareth. He overcame the obstacles. He conquered the culture. He broke the stereotype. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. And now he holds the keys of eternal life. If you believe that, somebody just shout amen. Amen. Because it's easy to get your eyes on this world when you see all the craziness that's taking place politically. Again, the woke culture, friend, is nothing new. Jesus was planted into a woke culture. Good is now being called bad, and bad is now good, and it seems like things have turned upside down, and everywhere you look, this old world has gotten crazy. Uh, I, I don't know if you were as impacted as I was with the thing that happened in Israel with Hamas, but what even caught me by more concern was the liberal professors, the hundred or so of them, that joined their names to a letter, and they were all coming against Israel and what they were saying they were doing to the Palestinians. They were supporting Hamas. These were professors out of Yale, Harvard, Princeton. It's mind-blowing at the things that are taking place in the American culture. But then you're reminded it's a sign of the time. That Jesus, the root out of dry ground, is coming again. And we can get discouraged and depressed. But we forget that he was not born into a perfect society. He came into dry ground. So if the 
schools on the national level, universities that kick God out, don't worry. That's just dry ground for our students who are led by the Holy Spirit to plant Jesus into that dry ground, and he will again begin to show that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the way, the truth, and the life. See, well, Randy, what are we to do? We are to fast and pray. I wish now I had more time to teach you on the power of fasting. What blows my mind is the Western church does not understand the concept of fasting and prayer. Did you know that in the greatest sermon of all time, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, or the Olivet Discourse, Jesus gives us three reasons or ways that we are to run our life. He said, when you give, and when you pray, and when you fast. In other words, Jesus elevates in the greatest sermon ever preached, fasting and prayer to the level of giving and praying. When you pray, when you fast, and when you give. You want to see miracles in this church? Begin to fast and pray. You want to see the souls being saved? Begin to fast and pray. You want to see the crack addict come off of drugs? Fast and pray. But it's too difficult for many. Many want a revelation from God, but few of us are willing to go through what it needs to go to romance him long enough to get our own revelation. Fasting is an amazing tool. It is not just weight loss. But it is getting this sin nature out. No, I believe in fasting and prayer. And friends, we are to fast and pray and seek God. Then get the seeds of the word of life and start planting them into people. Plant Jesus. Everywhere that is dry and barren and lifeless in this culture, you plant Jesus. People will Instagram or they'll Facebook the offer, so they'll call and they'll say, Oh, pastor, will you please pray that God will give me a new job? I'm the only Christian on my job. And I'll answer, That's why you're there. Duh. (laughs) That's why you're there. Well, you know, I don't want to be here. Well, that's why you're there. To plant Jesus in the dry ground. Come on, somebody. We don't give up on people because they're in the middle of a dry season in their life. Even if they are resistant, even if they are defiant, even if they don't look like it, we will continue to pray and fast and plant Jesus because Jesus is the root that flourishes in dry ground. He doesn't need anything outside of himself to survive. He is self-existent. He, he does not need political connections to survive and thrive. He does not need royalty acknowledging him, for he is already the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He doesn't need CNN, Fox News, the Democratic Party, or the Republican Party, or anyone else to make him man of the year. He is eternally existent. He holds time in his hands. He doesn't need man's position, man's power, or man's wealth. He already rides on the wings of a storm. He already owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He already flung the stars in the sky. He already walks on streets of gold. He already lives in the city that Abraham search for whose builder and maker was God he's the very one that said let there be light and there was light he is the risen son of God he is the root out of dry ground and we need to clap our hands and praise him that he's alive and well come on somebody praise him yes and we need to come to a deep understanding of what I'm preaching because I'm preaching better than you're shouting I know I am God does not need the approval of this culture for this church to survive. Now you need to hear that again. God does not need the approval of this neighborhood or this culture or the woke system for this church to survive. The root did not need the, the soil around it to be fertile. He didn't need perfect conditions to grow. He's the root out of dry ground. So the question then becomes, which of our churches and Christians will decide to put biblical truth ahead of social and cultural acceptance? And we need to approach God that way. We need to get back to that because if we don't watch it, we begin to think we're pretty good. We begin to think, look at all the money we sunk into our sanctuary. The octopus is gone. The lights are real pretty. Boy, we are really something. The seats are... Real soft. They are, by the way, real comfortable. They even smell good. And if we don't watch it, we begin to think, hey, look, we're really something. 
No, you're not. And neither am I. You're not all that in a bag of chips. No, no, no. You're not, you're not a combo meal. No, God could choose to use anyone. Some of you are slow, but you are worth waiting for, I tell you. You are worth waiting for. But God could choose to use anyone. He wants to use you, but he doesn't have to use you. He can use somebody else. When I look at my ministry, for 35, almost 36 years, what God has been doing, the thousands and thousands of people that God has touched. This last summer, I was speaking in a family camp uh, way up in Michigan, and a young lady walked up to me and she said, uh, Pastor, you don't know who I am, but I gave my life to the Lord in one of your meetings. I said, really? She said, yeah. She said, I was about 13 years old, and you were preaching a large conference, and they had picked me up on a bus, and they brought me to church. She said, I gave my life to the Lord, and now my family's serving God. I married a young man. We love the Lord, and they walked over. I said, well, how old are you now? And she told me. I said, oh, you're, you're making me feel really old. But with tears in her eyes, she looked right at me and she said, thank you for planting Jesus into my life. I had no idea. And the Holy Spirit whispered, keep planting Jesus in the dry ground. Keep planting Jesus. Randy, I don't have to use you, but I want to use you. The moment you said, Lord, come in, do something with this barren ground. I mean, really, what do we have to offer the King of Kings? I want you to really ponder that. What do you really have to offer to the Lord of heaven and earth? There's a song that I love to sing that we talk, it talks about what do I have to offer? Nothing but my praise. Just my praise. I, I can't offer him anything else but my praise. And when I gave God room in my life, to do whatever he wanted to do in my life. I said, Lord, would you come into this dry, barren, lifeless ground? I, I have nothing to offer you. But friend, when I allowed the Holy Spirit to be dropped into my barren life, he took my mind, he took my body, he took my heart, he took my dreams, he took my vision, he took my talent, and he said, let me breathe you into you, my anointing. Let me lay my hand upon your life. You cannot do it on your own. I can do it through anybody, but since you gave me room, I will now come and I will breathe amazing things into the barrenness of your life. And he says the same thing to you this morning. He said, if you will give me room, I will breathe the life of God, the same power that invaded that borrowed tomb. I will breathe it into you and you will rise up to the anointing of heaven. Hear it again. Adverse conditions do not have to determine the outcome of your life. Stop talking about your past lineage. Stop talking about how you can't accomplish. Just because you came from difficulty does not mean your life has to have a similar outcome. That's the message of Isaiah 53. Just because this church is planted where it is does not mean it has to have a similar outcome. The root out of dry ground says simply this, plant Jesus into the ground of a drug addict. I don't need them to fix themselves. I don't need them to have more willpower. No, what we need to do is start planting the seeds of the bread of word of God into their life, plant them into their heart, plant them into their mind, plant them in their soul, plant inside of them, and God will begin to do something. You can plant Jesus into any adverse circumstance and situation, and he will grow. Plant him into any environment. Plant him into a ghetto housing project infested with drugs and alcohol, and he will grow. Plant him into a prison, and he will grow. Plant him into a dysfunctional family. We do a lot of that. I do a lot of marriage counseling. And on the surface, you look at it and you say, this is impossible. This will never work out. And then the Holy Spirit whispers, start planting Jesus. Start planting Jesus. And it's not up to them to change. He begins to take over, but they have to give him a little bit of room. All he needs is a little room in your life. Plant him into a dead, tried church and watch the, his presence start to come and watch the seeds start to fill up. Amen. When Jesus is planted, 
He can grow in your prodigal son and your prodigal daughter. I had a lady walk up to me and she said, well, you know, Pastor, uh, I do have a prodigal son and prodigal daughter, but they want nothing to do with God. Do you have family members that want nothing to do with God? And she looked right at me and she said, well, I have heard other preachers say that you have to have the will and they don't have the will. So since they don't have the will, I guess it's impossible for God. And I looked right at her and I said, I, I, I have to stop you there. And I apologize for weak-willed, vacillating preachers that use that as an escape not to preach the gospel. Amen. And she said, what does that mean? I said, that's a life in the pit of hell that they have to have the will. She said, well, I don't understand. I said, listen, Lazarus didn't have the will. He was dead. <laughs> Duh. He was, he, he was completely dead. And when Jesus called out his name, Lazarus, come forth. Had to use the word Lazarus because if he had just said, come forth, the whole grave would have come hopping out. They were dead. But when Jesus called them out, they began to live. You might be saying, well, pastor, that's just one occurrence. Well, in Luke 7, 11, it tells us Jesus went to the village of Nain. His disciples were with him along with a very large crowd. And they approached the little village of Nain and they met a funeral procession and a woman's only son was being carried out for burial. I, I want you to get this mental picture. They're literally carrying a casket out with a woman's only child in the casket and she is a widow. And the mother was crying and the Bible says that this touched the heart of Jesus. He's moved in his emotions. And he looks over and he says, don't cry. And then to everyone's amazement, he walks over and he touches the coffin. And the pallbearers immediately stop. And the young man was there. And Jesus says, young man, I tell you, get up. Did he have any will? No. no. Young man, get up. In the story of the little girl... She's 12 years old. Her name was Tabitha. She's dead. Did she have the will to get up? No. Jesus said, Talitha kum, little girl arise. You know, I, uh, I, when I was growing up, and I, I used to love the movie Back to the Future. I used to love, I, wouldn't it be awesome if, if God would just take you like he did Elijah and translate you to certain places? There are certain places that I would love to have been when they took place. Like, I would love to have been there when the Lord dealt with Samson because <laughs> Samson was stupid. <laughs> she tied you up twice, bro. She even looked at him and said, Samson, I would have loved to have been there, though. Samson, can you tell me the secret of your strength that I might afflict you? Now, guys, listen, if your girl tells you she wants to afflict you, you got a major problem. Major problem. Sammy, tell me. I would have loved to have been there. Because I would have said, duh, she tied you up twice, man. Wow. And I would have loved to have been in the upper room. Mm. And I would have loved to have been here at the village of Nain. Wouldn't that have been amazing? That you're there and everybody is mourning. The culture is mourning. Everybody is sitting around. The, the mother is crying. And Jesus walks in and says, don't cry, don't cry. The Holy Spirit, who's the mirror image of Jesus Christ on planet Earth, is walking up and down the aisles of this church. And he's saying, don't cry. Don't cry. He goes over to the coffin. He says, get up. And to everyone's amazement, the young man sits up, and the Bible says he begins talking. We don't know what he's saying. That's why I wish I was there. <laughs> because I believe he begins praising. I believe he's sitting in that coffin, and he's lifting his hands, and he's crying out, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing praises to my king. I believe he's crying out, you're the Alpha, you're the Omega, you're the beginning, and you're the end. 
I believe in my mind. Oh, I know this is hypothetical, but I believe in my mind. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to go ask him, what did you say when you were raised and sitting in that coffin and everyone's staring at you in amazement? Well, we do know the, re- the response of the people because it says, then Jesus presents him to his mother and they all realized, this is what the scripture said, they all realized they were in a place of holy mystery. Wow. That God was working among them. Now listen, the Bible says they were quietly worshipful, like Samuel sent to assembly. <laughs> quietly worshipful. And then they became noisily grateful. So if you're sitting there wondering why I want you to respond, we have to get noisily grateful. And they started calling out among themselves. Listen what they said. God is back looking to the needs of his people. God is here looking to the needs of his people. That is why we can lift our hands this morning on December, the first Sunday of December, and lift our hands and say, God is alive. He is well. It does not matter what's happening around us. He's still looking to the needs of his people. If you believe that, I want you to clap your hands and praise him. Woo! Hallelujah. Because that's what the root out of dry ground does. Friends, I want you to know that you may have a loved one in a gay lifestyle. Or a situation that looks hopeless. Listen now. God wants you to know. Let me release you for some pressure. God wants you to know it's not your job to fix them. (laughs) Or to wait till they say, yes, I'm open to it. They may be as resistant as they can be. They may be so messed up that they can't even give their way, their will to say, I want God. They might be messed up from, the, from the to, their toe to the floor, the floor up to the heaven. They're so messed up and they can't even get there. It's not your job to be the Holy Spirit for them. This is a lesson that I had to learn with my children. I have adult children who are wonderful. I hug them every single morning because they're still living in my house. (laughs) Amen, Pastor? Yeah. And my son Christian is going to be, he's 32, and my son Morgan is 31, and my other son is 27. Well, he lives outside the house now. I got rid of him. And and he and his wife live in Kansas City. And and my beautiful daughter is still there, and I hug their neck every morning. A blessing I did not ask for, but I hug them every morning. And it got to a point where they're wonderful kids. They're they're wonderful people. But sometimes they're knuckleheads. They're just knuckleheads. And I look at my wife over the coffee and I say, babe, where did we go wrong? (laughs) And the Holy Spirit whispered one day, it's not your job to fix them. If you would just shut up and let me do my job and get out of the way. And I was sharing that with Pastor Billy yesterday. And he said, you know, Brother Randy, God told me the same thing. And I said, I'm so glad I'm not the only dumb one. (laughs) And and I think that's for every parent that is a Christian, that you love God. You you want your children to excel. You want them to be wonderful. You you don't want them to hurt. And so you try to be the Holy Spirit for them. But what you're causing is you're a roadblock on the road to their revival because the Holy Spirit loves them more than you do. And if he doesn't step in, their eyes will not be open. And you could do everything perfect. You could raise them in a perfect home. You could raise them in a perfect environment. You can do all these wonderful things. But they have to choose the Holy Ghost and Jesus for themselves. That's the nature of free will. And I found that when I try to be the Holy Spirit for them, I muddle the waters and I get frustrated and they push away. And the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to do it in my time, in my way. I created them. I know who they are. Just plant Jesus into them. I'm the root out of dry ground. Just keep planting Jesus into them and water it with your tears and water it with your fasting. And in due season, they will begin to grow. But Randy, you've got to let me do my job. 
What a powerful insight to the church. Because when you begin to pray for them, when you begin to fast for them, when you begin to love them, when you begin to reach for them, then you're planting Jesus into dry ground. And Jesus is the root that grows out of dry ground. And nothing can stop his grace. Nothing can stop his power. Nothing can hold down what he says is coming up. Oh, if you believe what I'm preaching, I want you to clap your hands and praise him. Come on. Yeah. Are you hearing me? We need to plant Jesus into the depression of this generation. Plant Jesus into their suicidal thoughts. Plant Jesus into their fear. Plant Jesus into the doubt of this world. Let him into your life. You'll never be the same again. Friends, it's time that we just start planting Jesus. And if you'll just run to him today and say, Lord, would you take this dry, barren ground and give me life more abundantly and full of your glory? Are you hearing me? Jesus is in the house. Because he says, when you allow me to grow, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. In other words, Jerusalem is where you live. Be his witnesses in your local city. Plant Jesus in the city where you live. Plant Jesus into our schools. Mom and dad, children's pastors, youth pastors, hear me. Let's train our kids on how to be witnesses and plant Jesus into the woke public schools. If we're really serious about making a difference, train a generation on how to plant Jesus into the confusion of the public school system. Jesus can fix the gender confusion. Only Jesus can do it. We can't be the Holy Spirit for them. Only Jesus can fix a broken life. Oh, come on, somebody. Witness in Judea. In other words, the other most parts of the earth. Plant Jesus in the world missions. Plant Jesus in Africa. Plant him in the jungles of South America. Plant him in the, into Europe. I just got a report that the underground church in Russia is exploding. That the church in mainland China is exploding. So we will plant him in Russia. Your offerings that you give to this ministry, we have ministers, ministries that we support in Russia and in China, in Africa. Jesus is greater than the Kremlin. He's great. Where they think he's not real. I'm glad. Listen, he's, he's, it's easy to plant Jesus into places that think he's not real. Because when you plant him there, they start seeing that he is alive and well. Plant him in the Middle East in the heart of Hamas and Hezbollah and the Muslim Brotherhood and stand back and watch him move. And yet the enemy is whispering, it's too dry, it's too barren, it's too dead. Don't give up on anybody in your family. This Christmas season, I want to challenge you to fast and pray because God says I'm the root out of dry ground. And for those of you that are listening to this message on live stream, And you're saying, well, Randy, when I stop doing this, when I stop doing that, when I get my life all together, when I I finally get all my ducks in a row, then maybe I'll give my life to Jesus. I'm so far from perfect. To you, I say, we are all so far from perfect. If you don't believe me that we're all so far from perfect, just kind of look around right now. Because this room is filled with a lot of imperfect people, me included. We are all imperfect. And it's not an accident that you're listening to me right now. I believe the reason God led you to listen to me is he wants you to know it's not up to you to make it happen. Saying, God, I've got to do better. I've got to clean up my act. I've got to do this or I've got to do that. No, the only thing you really have to do is give God your heart, give him your mind, give him your soul, give him a little bit of your life and allow him to begin to grow in you. And he'll change you. He'll give you things you cannot possibly imagine. And it's easy to live in regrets about how God is not going to do it in my life. But here's the amazing truth about the grace of God. God knows human nature. He knows your human imperfections. He knew you would get off course and at times would give you to temptation. Listen, God did not base his plan for your life upon your ability to make perfect choices. No, God has a plan for your every mistake. He has a plan for your every sin. He has a plan for your every failure. 
What you think is a failure, you blew it, and you think nothing good can come of that. God has a way of making beauty out of your ashes. He could take what should have left you lonely and disappointed, what should have left you limited in your career, what should have just crippled your marriage. Instead of letting you go back, he has a way to turn it around and pick you up and dust you off and clean you up and move you into your new dimension in Jesus, your new destiny. Well, if you believe that, come on, yes, let's, let's just clap our hands for him. Aren't you glad that he doesn't turn his back on you the moment you fail? No, he comes running to you. You know what I've learned, gang, in 35 years of ministry? The things that worry me the most is what brings the Holy Spirit to me in the greatest way. Hear that again. The things that I worry about the most is what brings the Holy Spirit to me in a greater way. You may be in a complicated situation right now. But God has a way of taking care of that. I read a story about a lawyer that was trying to deliver a very important paper to a, uh, a customer, and the man, thinking it was a subpoena, he completely avoided the attorney. But this was a very persistent attorney. And this went on for 14 years, this attorney trying to run this man down to get him to see this document. Finally, the man he was after was dying of cancer. He's in the ICU unit uh, in the hospital, intensive care, and he's laying there, and the lawyer came into the hospital room, and the man looks over, and he says, boy, you never give up, do you? (laughs) All right, give me the subpoena. I'm dying anyway. Give me the subpoena. And the lawyer said, true story, the lawyer said, subpoena? I've got a document here that says you have inherited $45 million. And I just needed you to see it and endorse it with your signature. And that's how it is when the Holy Spirit is after you. He has riches untold. And we run from him Because we have a preconceived idea of who he is. Wow. How's that working out for you? This morning, Pastor Oliver, come to the piano. God not only can correct a complicated situation, but he can somehow use it to bring healing to your descendants. And all he needs is for you to say, yes, Lord, 100%, I'm with you. I'm with you. I I won't run from you anymore. I'm with you. Some of you might say, well, Randy, I'm already saved. I'm already on my way to heaven. Praise God. And I thank God for that. But listen, gang, are you allowing him to use you in every way possible? doesn't matter how old you are. I'm not talking about your socioeconomic condition. I'm talking about your willingness to say, use me, Lord, this year. Because he's the God of the impossible. You might have family that's impossible to reach this Christmas season. I want you right now to just unplug from them and plug into Jesus. Oh, listen to this. I want you to unplug from your spouse. One of the most difficult things that I had to learn in my marriage to my junior high school sweetheart was she's not the source of all the answers in life for me. Because when your spouse is the source, when you make your spouse the source, then they have to become the person (laughs) who creates the answers. And you start saying things like, well, if they would just do this. Well, if they would just do that. Well, if they would stop saying this, if they would stop saying that. And the spouse says the same thing about you. Well, if they would just stop doing this and that, we would get so far down the road. See, the problem is you're trying to make your spouse like you. If they would just think like I do. Things would be so much better. But you're not the Holy Spirit. And you're not the root at a dry ground. 
Jesus is. And we have to unplug from them as the source and plug into the true source, which is Jesus. Do you realize that you cannot love the way you want to love because you're not the source of love? Or the world will say, oh, I fell out of love. Yeah, you fell out of love because you're not the real source of love. You you don't need a divorce lawyer. (laughs) You, You don't need to replace your spouse with a younger model, a younger version, because they're just gonna not understand you. I, I just, I was counseling, I gotta say this. I was counseling with this guy. He's 56 years old and he's leaving his wife to go and date a 22 year old. I said, why would you do that? He goes, did you see her? I go, yeah, but you don't understand. Y- your wife knows where all your medication is. <laughs> your wife knows the, sign, the signs of stroke. This young one just wants your house. She doesn't, and you know, and, and I, I laugh, and you, you, you laugh, but you, you're, you're sitting there. And I told him, I said, you could be sitting in a restaurant. You start to go like this, and she'll say, why are you making faces at me? I'm having a stroke. Your wife would recognize that. Stay with the wife of your youth. You don't need a new model. You need to unplug from them and plug into the true source. Jesus is the source of love. The Bible teaches God is the source of love. So plug into the root out of dry ground. Plug into that source and say, Lord, you're going to have to help me love my spouse. And when you fall in love with Jesus, oh, baby, he supplies everything else. But you have to allow the root out of dry ground to grow. Here I am, Lord. I'm broken. I'm barren. I'm empty. Would you plant in me and use me? And I'll unplug and I'll stop being the Holy Spirit this year for my family. And my job is to pray. My job is to fast. My job is to water the seeds of life. Listen, gang, if you're praying for courage, do you think God just gives you courage? Or does he give you Situations in life to be courageous. Oh, that's what we'll be talking about tonight. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, he gives you the strength to deal with everyday situations that cripple everybody else. How in the world can you stay married and go through cancer? For the Holy Spirit shall overshadow you. That's tonight. But right now, if you believe what I've been preaching, I want you to close your eyes, lift your hands, and welcome the root out of dry ground into this place right now. Just lift your hands all over the root right now, right now, right now.